This program is a presentation of UCTV for educational and non-commercial use only. The following program contains adult language and themes and is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. I'd like to begin with a self-introduction of sorts, and it's called How I Got That Name, an essay on assimilation. I am Marilyn Mailing Chin. Oh, how I love the resoluteness of that first-person singular, followed by that stalwart indicative of be, without the uncertain ing of becoming. Of course, the name had been changed somewhere between Angel Island and the sea when my father, the paper son, in the late 1950s, obsessed with some bombshell blonde, transliterated Mei Ling to Marilyn. And nobody dared question his initial impulse, for we all know lust drove men to greatness, not goodness, not decency. And there I was, a wayward pink baby, named after some tragic white woman, swollen with gin and nembutal. My mother couldn't pronounce the R. She dubbed me number one female offshoot for brevity. <laughs> Henceforth, she will live and die in sublime ignorance, flanked by loving children and the kitchen deity while my father dithers, a tomcat in Hong Kong trash, a gambler, a petty thug, who bought a chain of chopped suey joints in Piss River, Oregon, with bootlegged Gucci cash. Nobody dared question his integrity, given his nice, devout daughters and his bright, industrious sons, as if filial piety were the standard with which all earthly men were measured. Oh, how trustworthy our daughters, how thrifty our sons, how we've managed to fool the experts in education, statistics, and demography. We're not very creative, but not adverse to rote learning. Indeed, they can use us. But the model minority is a tease. You, we know you are watching now, and we refuse to give you any. Oh, bamboo shoots, bamboo shoots, the further west we go, we'll hit east. The deeper down we dig, we'll find China. History has turned its stomach on a black, polluted beach, where life doesn't hinge on that red, red wheelbarrow. But whether or not our new lover in the final episode of Santa Barbara will lean over a scented candle and call us a bitch. Oh, God, where have we gone wrong? We have no inner resources. Then one redolent 
Spring morning, the great patriarch Chin peered down from his kiosk in heaven and saw that his descendants were ugly. One had a squarish head and a nose without a bridge, another's profile long and knobbed as a gourd. A third, the sad, brutish one, may never, never marry. And I, his least favorite, not quite boiled, not quite cooked, a plump pomfret simmering in my juices, too listless to fight for my people's destiny. To kill without resistance is not slaughter, says the proverb. So I wait for imminent death. The fact that this death is also metaphorical is testament to my lethargy. So here lies Marilyn Mailing Chin, married once, twice to so-and-so, a Lee and a Wong, granddaughter of Jack the Patriarch and the brooding Su Lin Fong, daughter of the virtuous Yuet Quin Wong and Ji Ji Chin the infamous, sister of a dozen, cousin of a million, survived by everybody and forgotten by all. She was neither black nor white, neither cherished nor vanquished, just another squatter in her own bamboo grove, minding her poetry, when one day heaven was unmerciful. And a chasm opened where she then stood, like the jaws of a white, mighty white whale or the dolls of a metaphysical Godzilla. It swallowed her whole. She did not flinch nor writhe nor fret about the afterlife, but stayed solid as wood, happily, a little gnawed, tattered, mesmerized by all that was lavished upon her and all that was taken away. Can you hear me okay? Huh? Can you hear me? Oh, great. Okay. Okay, onward. This poem is called Barbarian Sweet. I often experiment with ancient Chinese forms and, and try to translate them into recognizable, a recognizable Western package. And um, this series, I, I call this series a mock, mock Chinese lyrics in that um, they maintain the end-stopped epigrammatical quality of the Chinese. And this, poem, this series of poems, this series is um, uh, dedicated to... Um, a fiction writer named David Wong Louie, who, who was very ill with Hodgkin's disease, and, and I was convinced that this poem chanted him back to life. <laughs> the power of poetry, right? Barbarian sweet. The Ming will be over to make way for the Qing. The Qing will be over to make way for eternity. The east is red and the sun is rising. All bleeds into the ocean in the Caifia west. My loss is your loss, a dialect here, a memory there. If my left hand is dying, will my right hand cut it off? We shall all be vestigial organs, the gift of democracy. The pale faces, the wan conformity. The price we pay for comfort is our mother tongue. China is an ocean away, our grandmother beckoning, with too many children, too many mouths to feed. We can no longer dress her and improve her accent. 
We can no longer toil in her restaurant, double happiness, oiling wops, peeling shrimp. She is the bridge, and we've broken her back with our weight. We study Western philosophy and explore our raison d'etre. All is well in the suburbs when we are in love with our poetry. What did you think? The emperor will come to your grave to tell you all is groovy in the hinterlands? What did you think? Life sat honky-dory? What did you expect, old peasant, old fool? One day out of the woods and the dirt will eject from your nostrils? Even dung heaps will turn fragrant with a thorough cleansing. Orchids doth not bloom, baby. They cry. They explode. Meanwhile, our anger gets muted in their fatal beauty. Amorasia, so harmonious under a canopy of stars. The pram of a new nation. The winds rock it gently. Truth has no face. We make it where ours. You walk on the beach with your beautiful son, Julian. We dare to eat peaches and discuss the classics. One day they came to me, my dead ancestors. They whispered, homophonous with death. I was under the covers with my barbarian boyfriend, blowing smoke rings, talking jazz. Posterity is yet another compromising position. An addenda to the Kama Sutra. I was playing God as dominatrix and kept a piece of his ear as offering. Cauldron full, cauldron empty. The duck dangling in the window is the last vestige of our sizzling suzerainty. They believed in order, which meant victory over oblivion. They believed in the restaurant called Double Happiness, where all the partners were brothers, all the sisters wore brocade. The cash register rang its daily prayer wheels for the dying and the saved. <laughs> On the, um, the same vein of, of working with uh, Asian forms, um, this poem is called Rage Renga. Well, let me explain the title. Renga, meaning that it's linked verse, is a Japanese term for linked verse. And in this case, it's a series of 12 haiku epigram hybrids. They're imagistic and didactic simultaneously, if you can believe that. Um, and Rage, well, Rage, because it's a protest poem, and I wrote it. I wrote the first draft of this poem while listening to Bob Marley's I Shot the Sheriff. <laughs> Hence, we have Rage Renga. A man flat on his back can't go to the doctor. Let him die, woman, so that he will no longer beat you. He says, meet me at the hallowed temple near the Buddha's top knot. He is dying, dying fast. In his delirium, he is ever so beautiful. 
I am late and reach only as far as the earlobes, where I hear he has gone. There are trees on the mountains and branches on the trees. My anger so clear, I can see the hairs on the caterpillar and the wind on the hairs. I can tell the paths that he has violated by the bent lay of the grasses. Within him is a worm that loves itself and forgets whom he is loving, his mouth or his asshole. Near the tombstone is a plum tree, a cock crows upon it saying, man, you are no good. The people of my country are bearful. They've sent me to accuse you. What is your ailment, wretched white? Your ailment will no birds sing. Well, I, I borrowed the caterpillar image from Issa and reverent, irreverently, I, and the, you know, I borrowed the last line from Keats, you know, perverted the last line from Keats. <laughs> um, I made all my students come. <laughs> I can't see your faces, but I know who's not here. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> no, I'm only teasing. <laughs> okay. Um, eventually, every poet will, um, will write a poem about the process of writing. This is a universal thing. Um, this, partic- this poem I'm going to read is not, I, I discover it's not about the process of writing, but a, about the process of not writing, that terrifying empty page. And this poem is called The Tao and the Art of Leave Taking. Peach is prosaic. The object has everyday applications. Six globes of fruit, some left on the sill too long. Black on white, peduncles attached. Profound ontological statements. Not, no, not nada, but not, some may call it, nothingness. Some prefer pear apple, for all fruits lead to God. Narcissus in a cracked porcelain bowl, chrysanthemum, mantis, and gourd, crane and pine and wisteria, sparrow on a basket of persimmons, still life with peaches and plum blossoms, landscape with pavilions and pomegranates, touchable and turbid, speakable and nameable. Emptiness is but one mind. One mind is of no mind. Observe the technique. Ponder in it. Become a wooden doll with no ego. It thinks nothing. It does nothing. Let legs splay and arms flail. Discipline is the ultimate freedom. Take off her head. Open. See. Hollow. Practice the fine delineations, the subtle nuances, distinctions clear-cut as a hair. Though you died, you have to let me go. Though I died, I must let you go. Though she died, still he must go. Though she died, he must go. What is above the form is the Tao. What is within the form is called tools. That which transforms things is called change. I see you walking in your newly hennaed hair, gingerly a monk treading on rice paper. 
I see you dancing in your Hawaiian flowered shirt. My dark skin against your whiteness. A winter sky that resists the dawn. Leave taking at its simplest. Last night the verses halted. The rice paper lay idle. The black ink dried in the receptacle. <laughs> yeah, um, at this poem, I'll read a, a longish poem now. This, adjust yourselves. I was worried about reading this poem because I have students in the audience and it's x rated. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I, I, I'm dedicating this poem to Glory Foster, who's selling, celebrating her birthday today. And she wanted me to read this poem. And she's in the audience somewhere. <laughs> and, um, and it's a dramatic monologue. And I've been playing with polyphonic voices. Um, I begin the poem in an ancient Chinese woman's voice. And later on, I work, in, I work it into a uh, universal woman's voice. Uh, oppressed woman's voice, and finally, I intermingle my own. Um, I call this a sexy, salacious, apocalyptic, polemical love poem. <laughs> uh, in effect, you know, as you can tell, almost all my poems are elaborate, disguised love poems. Um, um, well, why, why does love uh, come hand in hand with apocalypse? Well, for obvious reasons. <laughs> in the Asian American context, love is a powerful form of assimilation. When one falls in love, one must annihilate vital parts of one's identity to merge with the identity of the other. And, I, and, and this is polemical. Why is it polemical? Well, because the dressee is, uh, is the enemy. <laughs> The lover, the enemy, the colonialist, the patriarchy, and uh, the, the destroyer, you know, everything that's bad, right? <laughs> and it's polemical because, hey, in a poem, it's not enough space to give the other's point of view, right? <laughs> okay. And this, uh, the title of this poem is A Portrait of the Self as Nation, 1990-1991. took me two years to write this thing. And... Um, I have two epigraphs. Um, in mastery, there is bondage. In bondage, there is mastery. That's a Latin proverb. And uh, a line from George, the, the Greek poet George Seferis, the stranger and the enemy, we have seen him in the mirror. I don't know if I should read this in front of my students, but I guess I must. They're going to look at me with strange eyes the next week. Um, Forgive me, head master, but you see I have forgotten to put on my black lace underwear. And instead I have hiked my slip up, up to the waist so that I can, so that I can enjoy the breeze. It feels good to be without. So good as to be salacious, the feeling of flesh-kissing tweed. If ecstasy had a color, it would be yellow and pink, yellow and pink, Mongolian skin rubbed raw. 
the serrated lining especially fine, like wearing a hair shirt inches above the knee. When was the last time I made love? The last century, with a wan missionary, or was it San Wu, the bailiff, the tax collector who came for my tithes, the herd boy, the ox on the bridge of magpies? It was Roberto, certainly, high on coke, circling the galaxy, or my recent vagabond love, driving a reckless chariot lost in my feral country. Country, oh, I am so punny, so very, very punny. Dear Mr. Decorum, don't you agree? It's not so much the length of the song, but the range of the emotions. Fear has kept me a good pink monk, and poetry is my nunnery. Here I am, alone in my altar, self-hate, self-love, both self-erotic notions, eyes closed, listening to that one hand clapping, not metaphysical trance, but fleshly mutilation, and love it, myself, and that pink womb, my bed reading Jinping Mei in the Expurgated, where all the female protagonists were named Lotus. Those damn licentious women named us modest, virtue, cautious, endearing, demure, dewdrop, plum aster, petal stamen. They teach us to walk headbent in devotion, to honor the five relations, ten sacraments. Meanwhile, the feast is brewing elsewhere. The ox is slaughtered, and her entrails are hung on the branches for the poor. They convince us, yes, our chastity will save the nation. O oh, mothers, all your sweet epithets didn't make us wise. Orchid by any other name is equally seditious. Now, where was I? Oh, yes, I remember. The last time I made love, it was to you. I faintly remember your whiskers against my tender nape. You were a conquering barbarian, helmeted, halberded, beneath the gauntleted moon, whispering Hunnish or English. So long, oolong, went the racist song. Bye-bye, little chinky butterfly. There is no cure for self-pity. The disease is death, ennui, disaffection, a row of flesh-colored track homes crowding my imagination. I do hate my loneliness, sitting cross-legged in my room, satisfied with a few off-rhymes, sending off precious haiku to some inconspicuous journal named Left-Leaning Bamboo. You, my precious reader, oh sweet voyeur, sweaty, balding, bespeckled in a rumpled rayon shirt and a neo-troubadour chignon, Politics, mildly centrist, the right fork for the right occasions, matriculant of the best schools, herewith my last confession. With decorous and perfect diction, I loathe to admit it, and yet I shall admit it. There was no colonialist coercion. Sadly, we blended together well. I was poor, starving, war-torn, an empty coffin to be filled. You were a young, ambitious lieutenant with dreams of becoming prince of a new world order, lord over the League of Nations, lover, destroyer, savior. 
I remember that moment of beguilement, one hand muffling my mouth, one hand untying my sash. On your throat dangled a golden cross. Your God is jealous. Your God is cruel. So when did you finally return? And was there a second coming? My memory is failing me. Perhaps you came too late. We were already dead. Perhaps you didn't come at all. You had a deadline to meet, another alliance to secure, another resistance to break. Or you came too often to my painful dismay. Oh, how facile the liberator's hand. Often when I was asleep, you would hover over me with your great silent wingspan and watch me sadly. This is the way you want me, asleep, quiescent, almost dead, sedated by my lush immigrant dreams of global bliss, connubial harmony. Yet I shall always remember and deign to forgive long before I am satiated, long before I am spent, that last pressure cry. Your little death under the halcyon light, you would smoke and contemplate the sea and debris, that barbaric keening of what it means to be free as if we were ever free, as if ever we could be. Said the judge, congratulations on this day, 15th of November, 1967, Marilyn Mailing Chin, application ZZZZZ, you are an American citizen, naturalized in the name of God, the Father, God, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Time assuages, and even the Yellow River becomes clean. Meanwhile, we forget the power of exclusion what you are walling in or out, and to whom you must give offense. The hungry, the slovenly, the convicts need not apply. The syphilitic, the consumptive may not more. The hookworm and trachomid and the likewise infested, the gypsies, the sodomists, the mentally infirm, the pagans, the heathens, the non-denominational, the coloreds, the mixed races, and the reds the communists, the usurists, the mutants, the hibakshas, the hags. Oh, connoisseurs of gastronomy and tea, ki mun tea, my foes, my loves, how eloquent your discrimination, how precise your poetry. Last night in our large, rotund bed, we witnessed the fall. Ours was an aerial war. Bombs glittering in the twilight sky against the star-spangled bannered. Dunes and dunes of sand. Fields and fields of rice. A thousand charred oil wells. The firebrands of night. Ecstasy made us tired. Sir, master, dominatrix. Fall was a glorious season for the hegemonists. We took long, melancholy strolls on the beach, digressed on art and politics in a quaint wharfside cafe in La Jolla. The storm grazed our bare arms gently. History has never failed us. Why save Babylonia or Cathay when we can always have Paris? Darling, if we are to remember at all, let us remember it well. We were fierce yet tender, fierce 
and tender.